All right, tonight we're going to <clears throat> look at the doctrine of giving. And uh, we'll need to use 1 John 1, 9 as usual. And then we'll just jump right into this particular study. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study Your Word. Guide us now and direct us, for I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, definition and concept. Giving is a concept in both the Old and New Testament. Giving was never tithing. Giving is today part of worship and must be motivated by doctrine. The same was true in the Old Testament. Tithing was a demand of the state, both when Israel was a theocracy and a monarchy. And of course, they did tithe in the Old Testament, which was a tax. And then they did have gifts, which from time to time were made uh, by various members. And we often find uh, Malachi 3.10 being used mistakenly. In fact, I have used it so often in... Uh, uh, my tithing testimony that I used to give. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith if the uh, God of heaven will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing there shall not be room enough to receive it. And uh, as I said before, I use that as a tithing testimony. And, and uh, Tommy and I started tithing the day we got married. And that's where we had hardly anything to tithe. <laughs> but we tithed. And uh, then we found out later on we weren't doing right by tithing in this the age of the church. But we'll study that more as we go along. We'll touch a little on tithing just because it's uh, so often mistaken as part of giving. I always remember a friend of mine uh, who worked at TI, an engineer. He was in the Gideons with me and he told me about a big Baptist church here in town that uh, had a big tithing testimony one day. And he said, I went to the pastor after the service and I told him, I said, well, the, two weeks ago you told us that we're no longer under the law and we shouldn't get under the law because we're now under grace. He said, and tithing's part of the law, and now you're preaching that we should all tithe 10%. And uh, he said, what's up? One's either right or wrong. Which, and uh, the um, pastor said to him, how else are we going to get the budget subscribed? I can't, I won't use either one of them's name, but uh, uh, there's the dilemma there, of course. Uh, and it's sad to say, uh, this goes on in many, many, many churches, you know, especially the big churches. So, uh, we'll cover that as we go throughout this particular lesson. How do we, how do we resolve that in our mind? Alright, tithing and giving are taught in the Old Testament, but only giving is taught in the New Testament. There are detailed teachings in the New Testament regarding giving as part of the a believer's worship. So let's summarize. About, uh, let's look at giving. Giving today in the church age is complete in the mind. That is to say, when you want to give, it is done. 
The offering may or may not occur because God sometimes blesses, sometimes He doesn't. But if you want to give, you gave. So clearly it can only take place if the Lord has provided. That is to say, if He hasn't provided for you, you can't obviously tithe. Excuse me, give. There I go. Alright, 2 Corinthians 8, 12, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man has, and not according to what he has not. So when the Lord blesses, you then give, and you alone must answer the question, Has the Lord blessed me? If He has blessed you, then you give back a portion of that blessing. The amount of any is solely determined by the believer priests. Giving is to be done on the first day of the week, according to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. But on the first day of the week, let every man of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And that has a very specific application, because the Corinthians had not taken up an offering that they said they were going to take up. And Paul was concerned that if he comes, he didn't want to come there, and he knowing that you said you were going to take up the offering as just as the Macedonian churches did, and I was going to take the offering to Jerusalem to help those in Jerusalem who are believers and uh, who are suffering. And so I don't want to embarrass you by getting up there in the pulpit and starting to teach, and you know that I told, uh, I heard from you that you were going to take up an offering, and you've never taken up that offering. So that's a little background and more later. So giving is never to be done under pressure. Um, notice Second Corinthians 9, 7. And remember, Second Corinthians chapter 9, Second Corinthians chapter 8 cover New Testament giving and other things, but predominantly the most extensive treatment. Every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Giving is therefore not a tithe, a bribe for God's blessing, a payment for a place to worship, a payment to the preacher, a payment for Bible doctrine, or a means for gaining the approbation of either God or man. So the concept now of Old Testament tithing. Tithing was an integral part of the Mosaic Law. Tithing, of course, was a 10% income tax paid to the treasury of the nation Israel. The nation supported the national church with its priests who first served in the tabernacle, the tent, and then later in the temple when it got built and then later in synagogue when the temple got destroyed so in Malachi 3.10 the word translated storehouse is otsar it is better rendered treasury we will see more than uh, about this verse later strong in his dictionary of uh, of New Testament terms and Old Testament terms has the following to say of the word in his dictionary Hebrew Otsar definition a depository and trace further the word comes from Otsar meaning to store up to lay up in store so since there's no indication in the scripture that only believers paid the tithe we must assume it was a tax and that 
both the unbeliever and the believer paid into the treasury. And there was more than one 10% tax, by the way, and we'll get into that. So there was a tithe of 10% of one's income, which ordinarily was a percentage of the agricultural production. Later, as money became a common medium of exchange, the percentage was applied to income. There were several types of tithes. Here we go. An annual tithe, a tithe every third year, a tithe every seventh year, a tithe every fiftieth year, and there was a tax to take care of the Levites, a tax to pay for the national feasts and sacrifices, and a tax every third year for the poor. And I want to provide several scriptures to illustrate the various tithes. A tithe, says Leviticus 27.30, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. That's a tenth. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal, that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So if he got in trouble and he needed to not pay his tithe, he was going to have to pay an interest on that because he missed the tithe at the proper time. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. And of course would be a temptation. I don't want to give that one, you know, because that's too, that's a good looking animal. If he does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute became holy and cannot be redeemed. So that says the animals ran through the gate, uh, you would get the tenth one. And if you substitute, oh, I don't want that one, then you had another problem. All right, uh, both the animal and the substitute cannot be redeemed. Excuse me. All right, Numbers 18.21. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel and their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving in the tabernacle or tent of meeting. From now on, or the temple. From now on, the Israelites must not go near the tent of meeting or they will bear the consequences of their sin and will die. It is the Levites who are to do the work at the tent meeting and bear the responsibility for offenses against it. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. They will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. And always think about the that the king who went into the temple to do some of the work of the Israelites and they told him, you better get out of here. And of course, uh, uh, he said, no, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to do the, some of the work that you guys get to do in here. And then immediately his face turned to leprosy and he had to give up his living in the palace. He had to go live by himself. So it's uh, important to God, obviously, Deuteronomy 14.22, reading through verse 29, as we continue on to be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place He will choose as a dwelling for His name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So, of course, that is a reference mainly for the northern kingdom. 
But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, maybe you were in the tribe of Dan, you were way off uh, because the place where the Lord will choose to put His name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, those would be Gentiles who have joined up with them, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Alright, the, the priests were to pay their tithes to the high priest. So the priests didn't get away without tithing, but they paid theirs to the high priest. And of course, there's only one high priest each, each year. Uh, the first one would be Aaron. Now, Numbers 18.25, the Lord said to Moses. Then we're going to read through verse 28. Speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithes I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the wine press. In this way, you will also present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. All right, the concept of Old Testament giving. Old Testament now. The tithe and the Old Testament gift were different. Malachi 3.8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes obligatory and offering a matter of choice. So the word for offering in verse 8 is teruma. It is used for free will gifts, for gifts of the fruits, for the half shekel sanctuary tax, and for portions of sacrifices that were reserved for the priests. The priests were required to tithe their tithe, as we noted, uh, to the high priests. Again, Exodus thirty thirteen through fourteen. This they shall give everyone that passeth among you that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary, about forty cents. And half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. And then everyone that passeth among you, them that are numbered from twenty years old and above, shall give an offering unto the Lord. Twenty years old was kind of like you're a man now, because you also got drafted if you were a man. And you weren't a coward, and you weren't a... There are others having just been married or having just gotten a new business. That was compulsory military training, which was prescribed in the Old Testament. All right, Old Testament givers were promised a blessing for giving. Notice Proverbs eleven twenty four twenty five. Now, this is also true of believers, as we will see in the church age. There is he that scattereth, and yet increaseth, and there is he that withholdeth more than is meet proper. 
but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be fat, made fat, and he that waters shall be watered unto him also himself. So interesting a concept. There's some people who give out a whole lot. You'd think they wouldn't have anything because they give a lot, but they have more than the person who doesn't give. Interesting concept. All right. Several uses of Old Testament tithes and gifts. All right. To repair the temple. Second Kings 12.5 Let the priests take it to them, every man of his acquaintance, and let them repair the breaches of the house, whithersoever any breach shall be found. To provide for the needs of Levite priests and their families. Deuteronomy 10.9 Wherefore Levi hath no part nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance according as the Lord thy God promised him this day. And Deuteronomy 14, 27 and 29. And the Levite who is within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. Dropping down to verse 29. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied. In order that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. Alright, it's used to pay for the various festivals or feast days such as Passover, Feast of the Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Trumpets, Atonement, Tabernacles, and Purim. Nehemiah 10.33 For the showbread and for the continued meat offering and for the continued burnt offering of the Sabbaths, of the new moons, for the set feasts and for the holy things and for the sin offerings to make an atonement for Israel, and for all the work of the house of our God. And to help feed the poor of the land and the Levite priests. Very interesting concept. Now you're talking about here the tithe, therefore you're talking about <clears throat> the government authorized to take care of the poor. And here's how they did it. Deuteronomy 4, I used to wrestle with this because I thought, I wonder where in the scripture it says the government is supposed to take care of the poor. Well, here's a place. 14, 28, and 29. At the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and thou shalt lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and here we go, and the stranger, that would be a Gentile who comes along and says, I want to join up with you. And they probably hadn't had anything. You know, they'd be carrying everything in a little bag over their shoulder with the cane. And the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates shall come and shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. Interesting concept. Take care of them so you'll be blessed. Malachi 3.10 is often used in error to authorize tithing in the church age. Malachi is an Old Testament book, the last book could have been Malachi that wrote it or it could be merely messenger. Malik is the word for messenger. Key is the suffix my messenger. Malik is also used of an angel in Old Testament terminology. Malachi is an Old Testament book with primary application to Israel as part of the Old Testament. It is a law book. The Mosaic law was a conditional covenant applicable to the nation Israel as a priest nation. Malachi is significantly the last book of the Old Testament. In the last book, God asked the Jews to conform to the conditional 
Mosaic Covenant or suffer national discipline. This is a recurring theme of the Old Testament, certainly to include the book of Malachi. Malachi 2.11, reading through verse 14, then we'll go to verse chapter 4. Judah, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why. It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And then Malachi 4, 5, and 6. See, I send you the prophet. These are the last two verses of the book of Malachi. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah just before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And that's what John the Baptist would have been had they believed. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. In other words, you'll accept the Christ as he comes. Or else I will come and strike the land with the curse, i.e. the tribulation. Because they did reject. So Israel had rejected the claims of God. and was like a people who strove with the priests. Rejecting the counsel of God's ordained messenger. Israel was thus destined for discipline. Alright, priests became greedy. And the mercenary spirit which prevailed among them is exposed by Malachi. They eat up the sin of my people. Malachi complains that the priests grew wealthy and they greedily seized the tithes and offerings which the people brought to the Lord. Alright, since this is the doctrine of giving and not tithing, be aware as earlier listed, there were other special tithes related to the seventh year and the jubilee year, that'd be the fiftieth year, which in most cases the nation of Israel failed to keep. Now let's establish the relationship of the tithe to us. Are we to tithe and give or simply give? Since the tithe was part of the Mosaic law and we are exhorted in Scripture not to keep this law because Christ fulfilled the law, the law in the church age therefore becomes self-deleting with respect to its spiritual application. We studied the book of Galatians, but I'll just review a couple of passages. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. And you'll recall in our teaching of the book of Galatians, the entire book is one of, you don't keep the law for salvation or for spirituality. You can't. Uh, and so therefore accept my teachings here. And they are summarized in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, as well as Galatians 2, 20 and 21. 
But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And then just kind of like to nail a, put a nail in the coffin of those who came from Jerusalem to say, you got to keep the law for salvation, you got to keep the law for spirituality. Here's what he says in those last two verses of chapter 2. My favorite two verses. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Alright, now let's address New Testament giving. Giving must never be done to impress others. Malachi 6.10 again, the principle can still be appropriate. Take heed that you do not do your alms before men. Christ will verify this. To be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 6.2.3 and 4. Therefore, as Christ said, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So the gift is complete when the believer decides to give, even if the believer has nothing to give. Notice 2 Corinthians 8.12. Again, this famous 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For if there be a first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what man has, not according to what he does not, or does not have. So the amount is not important, but rather the mental attitude is the issue. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. I forget how many bells there were, but there was a large number of bells out on the porch of the Gentiles. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. Uh, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. All they that did cast in their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all she had, even all her living. So we have in this particular verse, Mark chapter 12, verse 14, 1 through 44, it was important to understand the little gal did more, or the big gal, or the gal, than the rich person. All right, here we go. Located in the temple area known as the Court of the Women, the treasury contained, here it is, 13 trumpet-shaped chests for the positive gifts and the temple tax. So that'll give you an idea. Jesus was sitting over there and there were how many? 13 of the bells, you know, up. People were walking by. Ding, ding, ding. And he noticed the, the rich people came in and made a big deal of what they gave. But not the poor widow. So it appears that Jesus continued watching the giving for some time and that he observed a number of wealthy persons making gifts. Of the Greek synonyms for poverty, 
Mark chose a word descriptive of the beggarly condition of a pauper in order to characterize this poor widow. So Mark 12, beginning verse 42 and reading through verse 44, And there came a certain poor, that was a word patakos, a pauper, widow who threw in two mites, which makes a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Verse 44, For all they did cast in their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. All right, she gave an amount equal to two mites or a farthing. A mite, which is the word lepton, was the smallest of the copper coins, normally equal to one-eighth of a cent. The farthing was a Roman coin valued at one-quarter of a cent. So the principle enunciated by our Lord on this occasion was that a gift is to be evaluated not by its size, but by a comparison of the gift with the total amount possessed by the giver. A large donation out of abundance may be less significant than a small donation out of poverty. This woman gave the smallest possible gift, but it was more significant than the others, because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It is the mental attitude of the giver that is important. She gave out of what she had. So whether or not God has prospered a believer is God's business and a matter between him and the believer. Remember, only the believer can decide if they have been prospered. 1 Corinthians 16.2 On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. The above verse also tells us the gift is to be made on Sunday, if God has prospered. There should be never be pressure to give. It must always be a matter of free will. Compare 2 Corinthians 8.11 and 8.12 with 2 Corinthians 9.7. Now therefore, says verse 11 in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to what he hath not. So every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So again, giving must be motivated by Bible doctrine and must be an expression toward God before it can be properly given. The passages of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 deal with an offering that had been partially taken but not completed. Background information about the Corinthian offering. I'm going to read you chapter 8 beginning in verse 1 and we'll read all the way through verse 20. It says, And now, brethren, or brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God hath given the Macedonian churches. He's using the Macedonian churches and their gift as compared to the Corinthians who had not taken up an offering. And he wanted, didn't want to come and, and embarrass them. So he actually sent uh, Timothy one time and Titus one time to get the offering so he could take it to the church in Jerusalem. All right, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, 
and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring it also to completion this act of grace on your part. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want you, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty and supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, He who gathereth, here's that verse, it's like the one in Old Testament. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. I thank God, he said, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother, probably Luke. What is more, he he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. Okay, giving is closely related to God's salvation by grace. Notice in the middle of Paul's dissertation on giving, there's a reminder, reminder that you must give without attachments, just as God so freely gave his marvelous son. Second Corinthians 8, 8 and 9, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The Corinthians had agreed to take up an offering for the saints at Jerusalem, but then neglected to do it. The amount is not an issue here, but rather the chance to give. That is to say, the taking of the offering. The leaders of the church are being asked to give the people the opportunity to give. And then we've got 2 Corinthians 9, 3. For I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, and he says, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. 
So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you, gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So I see it's time to stop. And uh, we do have a 13th page and a 14th page. We'll pick up some of that later so that we have a complete doctrine. But let's uh, now have an invitation. All right, Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study Your Word. And now I would certainly ask that if there is someone either on our out there listening on our podcast or our website that has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that this would be the opportunity, an opportunity, to tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son. Very simply stated, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Again, God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. So now, Father, I'll pause for just a moment. Uh, and give opportunity to those who may be, again, without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life, to take care of the problem. And then I'll close by asking God's blessing, your blessing, upon the teaching this evening. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together in worship. Now, I would ask a special blessing upon both the gift uh, that uh, was anticipated and uh, has been, in fact, executed when you gave your only begotten Son. For it's in His name I pray. Amen.